Welcome everybody to the Special Focus 100 Pounder meeting. It is June the 29th, 2022, and I am delighted to welcome Bob F to come and share his experience, strength and hope with us today. Bob came into OA on December the 27th, 1982, and after one and a half years of abstinence, he relapsed for another 18 months. However, he's now been abstinent since January the 1st, 1986, and is maintaining a 170 pound weight loss or 12 stone or 77 kilos, whatever your metrics are, very impressive. He is a recovering compulsive overeater and exercise laxative bulimic, and he is here today to share his story with us. Bob, whenever you're ready, away you go. Also, if I unmute myself, You've just told my story. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> I, my name is Bob. I'm a compulsive overeater and exercise laxative bulimic. I, I'm going to, my story is somewhat complicated uh, and like most other people, rather convoluted. Uh, but I will tell you that it takes a very high level of intelligence to do what we do with food and to avoid uh, getting, you know, gaining weight, losing weight, maintaining weight. Uh, the average person wouldn't think of doing what we do. I was a, a liar. That's the only way to describe it. I always, said, you know, I wasn't eating that, I wasn't eating that. My grandparents had a grocery store and I would go in and I would steal food. It wasn't until years later that I realized that even if they weren't at the counter, they were up above looking down into the store, you know, to see what was going on. They could see me taking the food. I wasn't fooling anybody. And where I grew up for part of my life in New Jersey, in the US, uh, there was a, a men's shop called Robert Hall. And Robert Hall had what's called a Husky section. Because even though I wasn't um, immensely overweight as a child for any part of that part of my life, I, still was getting taller and broader than the average kid my age. So I went to the Husky section and I hated that because it made me different. And I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be like all of the other kids were, but I wasn't. I was a child prodigy as a singer and there is nothing worse than a child prodigy. Uh, and how my parents dealt with it is a miracle to me. Uh, they gave me every lesson you could imagine. Tap dancing lessons. I was the only one in the school not asked to be in the recital. I never learned how to do a time step. I took art lessons. I took singing lessons, thousands and thousands of dollars of singing lessons. I took language lessons. I took scuba diving lessons, snorkeling, you name it, they did it. Uh, I can say that I am very well educated to play Trivial Pursuit. 
because that's more of what it gave me than anything else. Uh, in my teens, I went to England for three weeks and I was in Redbridge, Redbridge Council, right near Ilford. And I then went back in 1970, same area, and decided that this is where I wanted to live. And didn't happen for a variety of reasons. And my weight had varied in my late teens by about 30 pounds. Then when I finished university, I started to work for the school board in Toronto as a teacher's aide. And I put on 60 pounds from September to June. It was not a happy time. But in university, I dropped 20 pounds in 10 days. And I did that because someone said, you know, you'd look so much better if you lost a little weight. And the comment that always made me cringe and still does, you have such a good looking face, you really should lose weight, which leads me to want to be violent and I'm not physically violent. Uh, I lost the 20 pounds. I went on a 500 calorie a day diet. And throughout the 1970s, because I was born in 1950, my weight varied by anywhere from 60 to 80 pounds up and down and up and down. It never stayed down. I tried every diet that was going, made up my own, restricted, exercised, tried a variety of means. And then someone suggested a pill that's called Ionamin 30. And Ionamin 30 is a yellow capsule, gelatin capsule, and it's an amphetamine. And I learned how to eat and still take the speed. So I was an overweight speed addict, which is really tricky because most speed addicts are very underweight. I was not. I thrive on being different. And I then couldn't do it anymore because my doctor wouldn't prescribe them anymore. And someone at work said, I can get those for you through my husband for a dollar a capsule. And I thought, oh my God, that makes me a drug addict. Now that I was probably 70 or 80 pounds overweight and rarely bathed had nothing to do with anything. I wasn't gonna be a drug addict. And I did terrible things to my insides uh, in the 70s and still live with the aftermath many years later. In 1982, my father died primarily of the disease and my sister joined the fellowship at the end of April that year, beginning of May, and lost 100 pounds. And I was the fat one now, and she was the thin one. What brought me into the rooms was nothing more than competitiveness with the sibling, 
and the desire to stop breaking chairs. I had heard about OA two years before, and I was at a party, and I said to the person, I'll go with you to your next meeting, I'm interested. The answer was, if you wanna go, go. You don't need me to hold your hand. And I thought, well, now there's a good entree to the program, forget it. And in the meantime, I did a tremendous amount of theater because in my 20s, I was getting character parts. I was over 300 pounds. You weren't going to cast me in the romantic lead. And when I lost weight and got my first romantic lead, I hated it. I was bored. I liked the character parts. I was getting villains. Then I got the comic parts. Then I got comic villains. And very rarely anything dramatic because I wasn't seen that way. I have good comic timing when I'm performing. And the most difficult thing was to do any cabaret work because it was just me and the music rather than me hiding behind a character. That was very scary. When I came into OA at my very first meeting, I sat in the back, we smoked in those days, and there was a blue-gray cloud in the back of the room. And I listened. I wasn't convinced of anything. Uh, I wasn't wild about what I heard. And on the way home, I stopped, got a snack. And the next morning, I decided, well, it's worth a try. And what I did was I cut out snacking. That's it. My feeling was that if I could lift the plate, even if it took two hands, that was fine. But I didn't eat in between. And it did make a difference. I lost 140 pounds. Went to my doctor every month. And I can't say that I worked the program. I wasn't working the steps. I was dieting. And I killed off a lot of sponsees because I was very prescriptive. This is what I do. This is what you're going to do if you don't get out of my face. Not exactly welcoming. And I then, a year and a half in, I had to have a panoplasty done. I had a very large apron of skin and it was in danger of rupturing because the skin had been stretched so much. And I thought, oh good, a flat stomach. He made a mistake. That was in 1984. And we're now looking at 38 years later, it's not flat. Now I'm going to be 72 years old, so flat is the thing of the past, but uh, one way or the other, I didn't get what I wanted. I did get rid of the apron, that without a doubt. But I also started to exercise seven days a week. I made my own laxatives. And it's a kind of a tea. And you have a cup. I would have three, four, five, six, seven mugs of it at a time. 
I caused permanent internal damage. But I lost weight. And no one in the fellowship said anything to me when I gained the 40 pounds that I gained. No one. Somebody at work did. He said, you know, you're getting fat again. And I was not happy with him, but he told me the truth. And yes, I was. Sometimes we kill each other with silence for fear of offending somebody. And that never works. It really doesn't. That's not only enabling, it's watching somebody walk in front of a car when you can stop them. Nobody did. And in those days, we had an abstinence requirement to share at a meeting. And when I said that I didn't have the seven days, there was an audible gasp in the room. And no one said anything to me afterwards. They were just in shock. And I thought, all right, fine, be in shock. Uh, and then I started to work. After a year and a half, I started to work the 12 steps. And that made the difference. I'd, and I started to go to meetings and listen. When I came into OA, we had very little specific OA literature. And they had things like the gray sheet, which I never followed. Weighing and measuring, I tried it for a couple of days. I, it's not for me. Uh, and basically, we had affirmation books. Uh, from a company called Hazelden. We had the big book of AA and the AA 12 and 12. And then we had a couple of things that were OA specific, including a pamphlet that was actually plagiarized from AA and that the World Service Business Conference will not stop publishing because everybody loves it. Uh, that's nice, it doesn't belong to us. <laughs> But uh, working the 12 steps and putting all of the other stuff to the side and shutting off all of the helpful hints that were going on from people saying, you should. Find me a compulsive overeater that really takes well to the first two words of a sentence being, you should. My immediate reaction is, you should, not me. And what I do now works for me. I go to meetings and I still Zoom it, even though, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's as though the pandemic doesn't exist anymore here. Uh, and I have not been able to maneuver myself to sitting in a small room with a large group of people. Uh, I have sponsees. I have fewer than I did before. Um, 15 minutes in, 15 minutes left. Thank you. 
I also, I have three meals a day. They fit me. I'm thin, yes. Who knew this was my natural body shape? I don't starve. Anyone who's been out to dinner with me knows very well that I don't starve. I'm, I'm a good eater, years of practice. But I don't necessarily prescribe what I eat for anybody else. It happens to fit me. Uh, as I get older, there are increasing um, ailments that come in with age. But I would rather have the ailments and be around than not have the ailments and not be around. Uh, and, you know, with as I get older, it's easier to moan and groan that that hurts, that aches. You know, I can't do something that I used to do. This past weekend in the area that I live in was Pride. And at the age that I'm at in Pride, I am invisible. The demographic is in the 20s. And it's been a long time since I've been in my 20s. And I don't look like these kids look. And I'm amazed because I would never have paraded myself in public wearing as little as they do. And they don't care about the body shape either. It ranges from very slim to very big. I've, as I get older, I become less tolerant of intolerance. <laughs> I figure that one out, uh, if it, that's me. But I'm in awe of you know, their ability to have that much um, I know much po that much positivity as to who they are. Uh, it's something that I didn't have growing up. And it's something that I can't say that I have acquired so wonderfully at this point. Uh, and you know it's it's very different now. When I came in, I had a very um, conservative religious background. Uh, my I started Hebrew school lessons when I was five. We made our way through conservative bordering on orthodox um, through reformed to liberal renewal to independent. Uh, we ran the range and then I stopped. I have a very firm spiritual belief. It bears no resemblance to any organized religion on the planet. And I'm fascinated by organized religion, so I studied it and there's no resemblance. Uh, I, it's just not me anymore. If it works for someone else, that's wonderful, but it doesn't work for me. Uh, 
I have a belief that there is a force greater than I am, but the force doesn't have a personality and it doesn't have a name and it's indefinable. Uh, what I do when I get very rattled by something is I meditate. Sometimes it's difficult. When I was in England in 19, no, in 2017, I hadn't been back for a very long time and I had just come over from France and I got food poisoning the first day I was there from a pub. And anyone with a brain would not order a tin tuna sandwich in a pub. I did. And I got either Listeria or Salmonella, we've never been sure. And I was sick for months. And think of how thin I am right now, then take away um, five kilo. I looked green and not a good look. And somehow I made it back on a seven and a half hour flight. Nothing stops me. I finished off all but one tourist attraction I wanted to see for 50 years in London. The Churchill War Rooms are the last. Uh, no desire to go tromping through Buckingham Palace. I've been on the Mall enough times to label every stone. Uh, but that's about it. I've seen every touristy thing in London you can see. In Canterbury, in Oxford, I've been there. I go back now to see people. I don't go back to go tourist shopping. And I enjoy being away, but I also now in my recovery, I'm grateful for what I've got. I always wanted what somebody else has. I wanted to live somewhere else. I wanted to be someone else. In all of the years I took singing lessons, I was never able to keep the top stable. Why? Because I wanted to control it rather than letting it go. Letting go is very difficult for me. I have never been able to do a laissez-faire approach to life. I certainly couldn't do it with classical singing. I can do it with Broadway, but I can't do it with classical singing. And that was symptomatic of how I dealt with the program at the beginning. I wanted to control it. Now, awareness is what I look for, not control. And active listening, not control. There was someone from a meeting, and this is the first time in probably 30 years it's happened. I gave my number to someone to call because I'm very free with doing that. And I... Uh, The person called and we talked for very close to an hour and the person frightened me, scared the life out of me. Politically, we're polar opposites, but that was the least of it. Uh, 
as the saga was unfolding, I thought I'm dealing with someone who has emotional issues I am not equipped to deal with. And we are fellow travelers, we're not psychotherapists. And I finished the call and I thought, I can't deal with you. I really can't deal with you. And what I did was I blocked the number because I thought this is very, very frightening. And I don't scare that easily, but this person scared me. And that's the exception to a longstanding rule where that's happened. I have done service at every level you can do it. And at one point I was the region nine fill-in trustee for one year for everybody in region nine. But I've been on the board of trustees longer than virtually anybody in the history of OA. Uh, I was in region six, which is where I live. Uh, I was a general service trustee before it became a generic trustee. And I've, I once was going down my list of things I would like to accomplish in OA. And I dealt with the ego stuff first. There's nothing left. And then I dealt with the recovery stuff. There's a lifetime left. It never ends. And you know what? I'm glad it never ends. And I'm staggered by other than my job that I retired from six years ago, um, I never stuck with anything that long. For me Five to still minutes be left. Thank you. For me to still be around 39 and a half years later just boggles my mind. It really, really does. Uh, I can't believe that I'm still here. Uh, and yeah, I've been teased because my mind goes to song cues and song quotes and quotes from literature, from plays, from musicals, from television. And there's one of the things I've discovered in OA that there's a song, what's hard is simple, what's natural comes hard. And that's all of us. What's the hardest thing to do? The simplest thing. What's really easy to do? The most complicated thing. If it's complicated, I'm there. I'll figure out a way. If it's really simple, it just baffles me because I'm looking for the complication, always. And I try very hard not to do that. Uh, for anyone who is new to OA at this meeting, for anybody who is struggling at this meeting, when I first became abstinent, I did it in five minute increments because I couldn't deal even with 24 hours. Five minutes was enough for me. And it's been a lot of five minutes. I weigh myself every day. Why? To keep me honest. As thin as I am, I can put on the same shirt 
and think, oh my God, it doesn't fit. It did yesterday, it doesn't today. I need the scale to remind me that it's in my head. I'm thin, I can look in the mirror and see fat. So I need the scale to remind me. If the scale gives you palpitations, don't go on it. If the scale doesn't, it's a scale. It's inanimate. The food doesn't scream at me. It's my head that's doing the screaming. Unless you're into live food, I'm not. The food in my refrigerator is definitely not alive. It doesn't do a medley from Phantom of the Opera. Thank God, since I don't like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, so it does get better. And it's not that it gets easier, it gets to be ingrained. It gets to be routine. And that's what I look for. Better, I don't know what that word means. Routine, that I understand. And I'll finish with this. I have the capacity, when I was doing a lot of performing, to memorize a script very quickly, to assimilate a piece of music, hearing it a couple of times. Then the trick was getting inside of it, because that was just surface. Getting inside of something is where it becomes difficult. And that's what recovery is. It's getting inside of it. And if you need someone to talk to, my phone number is in the chat. Please text first because I get a lot of spam calls. And uh, if you want to talk, if you want to sponsor, I have room. Uh, and by all means, contact me. I'm on Eastern time, but I have my phone set. I know what it is in the UK. Uh, and as long as the airlines are flying, I will probably be back in the UK, if not this fall, then next spring. So, and that's it. And 33 seconds left to go. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Bob, thank you so much for sharing. You've got a lot of heart reactions, a lot of uh, applause going on.